Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll find the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And now, here is your host, the CEO of Access Entertainment and the Media Excellence Awards, the original media maven herself, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment, and your host for Media Maven's podcast. Here with my co-host, sportscaster, public affairs, voice of God, Joe Pirates. Hi, Joe. Hello, Sarah. How's it going for you? Wow, that was a good voice of God. Thank you. <laughs> of our podcast. So I'm excited. I don't need any fanfare or any intro or um, band. Oh, darn. I'll put my trumpet away. <laughs> <laughs> I have Chris Petrovich on, and I, I love Chris, one of my favorite humans on the planet. Been a client, part of the MEAs, from Playboy Mobile, GameStop, to the, the leader of putting Zynga on the map in the gaming industry. Chris, so excited you're here, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much. Great to see you, Joe. Great to see you as well. Yeah. So what's going on? Let's, let's, let's like, kind of start from the beginning because you have done the most tremendous work and shown such strength and leadership with what's going on with Zynga. Zynga is truly on the map, the M&As, where they've gone under your leadership. But you got such a great branding background of tech. You're, you're right in the intersection of tech and entertainment since the day I met you when we were at Playboy Mobile. So take us through the world of Chris Petrovich from then to where we are now. Yeah. All right. Well, I will spend just a little bit of time on it because I'm sure it's not very interesting to many people, but I've had the good fortune, as you said, of being at the intersection of entertainment and tech for the last 20 plus years. Started my career in LA as an entrepreneur running venture-backed startups pre-Web 1.0 bubble. So 1998, and then uh, learned a hard lesson in what it means when an entire industry implodes, figuratively and literally. Spent some time in, in venture capital after that, uh, and then ended up becoming the, the digital person at a bunch of analog companies. So first it was at American Greetings, then it was at Playboy, and then it was at GameStop. And those were companies that it, it, during those times were trying to figure themselves out as you know, uh, how to shift away from their, their core business or expand beyond their core business as they were being disintermediated by this thing called digital. And I was lucky enough to be at the forefront of those discussions and explorations. And then as I was in the midst of my tenure at GameStop, was really watching the explosion of digital gaming, especially mobile, and became very curious about that and sought out an opportunity with a private company called Kabam. Uh, it was very successful and, and eventually was sold to a large public company called Netmarble out of Korea. Yes, I forgot you're at Kabam. Okay, I'm yes. just going to interject it because thanks to you under your leadership, Kabam took home, I think, two years of best in gaming and content at the, um, the global MEAs. Yes, no, we were excited about it. that. Was the highlight of the studio's uh, career there? Uh, Wait, really... I think that was a voice of God, Joe. That was one of your voice of God. Yeah, I us. think it was too. <laughs> and then for the last four and, and a half plus years, was at Zynga. Was the first person hired by the new CEO to be part of the turnaround management team, and spent all that time helping on corporate strategy, leading M and A and business development. And it, it's you know really a tremendous platform to bring a great gaming company back to its former greatness. And I'm excited about what they're going to continue to do, even with me gone. And, and as I told my team that I, I left in charge of these various business units, I said, my biggest, biggest compliment you can pay me is if you don't miss me one bit. So <laughs> I'm sure they're going to do tremendously well. And I'm, I'm, I'm wishing them and the rest of my colleagues there all the best. So, you know, you, you've kind of taken this role and I love that you've, you know, you guys have a Kabam One Awards. You have really led the digital and mobile revolution of all these companies at the verge of 
technology and leaning into tech. So I've been such a pleasure watching your career as long as I've known you. And I know you just left Zynga, you're instrumental in their investments, their M&As and getting them into that trajectory. And, you know, we're not going to get too personal. We could talk about whatever. It is a podcast. But do you want to talk about, because we were talking about why, you know, you're such a profound leader in this space and you're kind of leading this, but you're leaving Silicon Valley now. I mean, I don't, can we talk about yeah. why and what's going on? Yeah, sure. No, I, I posted my my farewell note up on social media for everybody to read. If for no other reason than I just wanted to uh, give myself a break from having to answer the questions on a one-off basis. So it's kind of a selfish, lazy thing of me to do. But, you know, uh, I, I've been blessed to be a participant in this digital media technology entertainment ecosystem and look forward to doing it as soon as I finish my time off with my family here for the rest of the year. But as you know, for those that, that are interested in, in reading it, go, go ahead. And I'm happy to talk about it as well, which is, you know, I'm a native Californian and it's been a really, really long road in California for many of us between COVID and the practicalities of, of work-life balance and the cost of living. And for us in particular, where we live up here in the county of Sonoma, we've had profound effects with being in a purple tier county. Our kids have no line of sight to going back to school in a classroom. My wife's startup here in town got decimated because of the uh, of the regulations around closing and opening. And, you know, we've lived through four years of firestorms and, and thankfully have escaped relatively unharmed compared to a lot of other people up here. But it really just was time for myself and my wife and my family to re-examine our lives, to re-examine the, the, the state of it. Uh, we have elderly moms that have been isolated about eight hours apart from each of us in both directions. And so... There was a lot for us to fix uh, for ourselves personally. And, you know, family first is our motto, as, as it is for many people. And it really was time for us to take the bold step of making big decisions around re- relocating. And, you know, we made the decision to leave California, which is not a light one. But we're planning, you know, over the holidays and New Year to, to kind of move on and, and move out and just give ourselves a different life and hopefully, you know, stay connected at the same time to the industry that has brought me so much joy over these last 20 years. Chris, let me ask you, you you talk about living and working through the whole tech collapse, the tech bubble collapse. What kind of lessons do you take today with you that you learned during that time? Yeah, it's funny. I never I told myself I would never be that guy that looked back and would, you know, shake his proverbial finger at the younger generation and say, I told you so. But one of the things that is interesting is when you watch new generations or iterations of entrepreneurs come into the marketplace trying to attack big problems that that have been tried before, have been thought about before. You kind of laugh at uh, watching them go through the same mistakes that you did, but you're also thankful that you're there to impart your wisdom and your, your guidance based on the pattern recognition that you've seen from mistakes made in the past. I also shudder to think about how expensive it used to be to start a company from, a, from an investment perspective in terms of server farms and infrastructure and all these things that now you just outsource to AWS and other cloud providers, you can literally start a company with a couple thousand dollars and a great idea. So I wish that we had those tools back in the late 90s. I think we would have avoided a lot of the web 1.0 collapses. But you know, the pattern recognition is there. And I think we things go in cycles. And we've seen you know many patterns repeat themselves, not the least of which is as as Sarah alluded to in the mobile ecosystem. You know, we're now dealing with all of the complexities around the app stores with Apple and Google. Back when Sarah and I first started, you know, working together, it wasn't Apple and Google, it was AT&T and Verizon and Sprint. So different gatekeepers, same, you know, same issues around distribution and marketing and customer acquisition and whatnot. But 
at the end of the day, if you're around this industry long enough, you see a lot of the same patterns repeat themselves, but also are excited by what technology brings in terms of new patterns and consumer behavior. It's interesting because we always talk about, we, I feel like with COVID, we're now full circle. We used to use streaming wasn't a big deal. It was there. Nobody liked it. They want to be live. But now we are forced to use streaming. So I feel like everything comes full circle. And our big thing is lean more on tech. And we just had um, Jen Whelan at Verizon on talking about 5G. So it's amazing to see how more advanced we were when we first started 10 years ago to where we are right now. I mean, is this kind of, was this, advancements in technology, kind of your big push this past year or two to blow Zynga up and get them out there? Or was it more of a focused gaming industry growth that really pushed you and motivated you to get to this point? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. And I'll say it wasn't it wasn't me as a leading character. I was a support character among a group of smart executives. And Chris Petrovich, you've always been a leader and an inventor in this industry. But thank you. But anyway, we, we um, you know, it was a two pronged view. You know, one is how to strengthen the core business through executing strategy and M&A in the near term. And the other was the crystal balling exercise of, you know, what, where is this industry going and how do we need to get there? And I think one of the big profound changes and evolutions that are happening right in front of us on gaming that has a lot of applicability and has already been accomplished in other forms of media is this consumer rising consumer expectation of being able to play and experience a game anywhere, anytime on any device. And you know that that mantra has been the reality for books, music, movies, and TV and film for a very long time. You can watch and, and, and consume this media anytime, anywhere on any device. And it's the same piece of media that can exist on an endless number of devices and platforms. Gaming has always been the last bastion of entertainment that has not been able to really crack the code on that. And when you look over the last several years with mobile games in particular, like Fortnite, PUBG, Hearthstone, Minecraft, uh, Roblox. These are just great examples of companies that have built tremendous games and platforms that are basically a single game expression that can live across a myriad of devices. So you're not just playing it on your mobile device. You're playing it on a PC or or on an Xbox or a PlayStation or a Switch. And in, in the best case scenario, that single game expression is a connected one, meaning that users are playing between and among and with each other from different devices. Now, as you guys talked about with your guests from Verizon about 5G, 5G is a seminal technological advancement that's going to allow mobile devices to actually be more at par or at parity with PCs and consoles in terms of gameplay. And then you have cloud and streaming technologies that you know the Googles and Microsofts of the world are working on to then bring further down the barriers to actually being able to play cross-platform. So this anytime, anywhere, any device possibility for gaming is the one that I'm most excited about for the next three to five years. It's so funny because gaming's always been gaming. You're always competing against one person, eight people, based on whatever gameplay you're on, Sony PlayStation, whatever. You're always it's always a competition. And so and we've talked to a lot of big esports people, but let's just break this down. Gaming, esports, it's the same stuff. You're still playing against other people. You're on a team, but you've always really had other people you can play with and against. Is esports just the next gaming 2.0, the next creative way to brand to get gaming bigger and better? Or is there really a defined distinction between gaming and esports? Well, so esports is an outcropping of a certain kind of gaming, which is the more enthusiast or hobbyist or what many people call core gamer. And those game experiences that are on the more immersive end of the scale, right? So you have on the lowest end, really casual games on mobile devices that, that you can play like, uh, you know, Words of Friends, for example, or you can play a bubble shooter game. And those are 
you know, not, not, not so much synchronous or competitive as they are social and, and or a way for people to relax. Gaming, broadly speaking, has a much broader offering to consumers than just kind of the more narrow sliver of esports, which by, to me is, is, you know, and Joe will appreciate this from where he comes from. This is broadcast television, you know, 2.0 or 3.0 which is interactivity, you know, meets fandom, meets gaming. And so esports is great for those games that are immersive, that have huge audiences, that have the depth of gameplay that are compelling to watch other people play on screens like like the ones that we're on. Mobile gaming, for example, doesn't really have a lot of esports applicability today because the way that mobile games are played are on small screens in short, short spurts of a couple minutes by and large. And people aren't recording that because that's not really why they're primarily playing mobile games. Now, the more that these technological advancements come onto mobile, not just the, the, the 5G and the, and the streaming, but also the device hardware capabilities, the more core games you'll be able to see, immersive games you'll be able to see on mobile devices like phones and Nintendo Switch. So esports may be a thing where people are interested in capturing their gameplay and broadcasting that to a, a captive audience. But for right now, esports is, it occupies a pretty narrow but important part of the gaming ecosystem as it relates to PC and console games. And it's extending the relationship between consumers and brands. It's creating new celebrities in the, in the, in the players on these teams. It's creating franchises. Business model on esports to me is still TBD, but I'm sure the smart people in that sector will figure it out. Yeah, I just like the common thread to this is brand engagement on multi-platforms. No matter if you're an individual, you're going to click through on an ad, in-app sales, whether you're an esports team, it's all about the brand engagement and spreading the content. Yep. So everything. So CP, what's going on with you? You're you're, you're leaving the tech world. You're going to keep your no, not leaving the tech world. Just leaving, just leaving California. Stay. Are, are you going to like who has been some of your best mentors through the past 10, 15 years of your career? Well, I think you know. I mean, my wife's not here to 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 give me the high five, but I would say she's been a tremendous one for me because she's been equally accomplished in her career and her business, and I spend the most time with her. So, in, and her mentorship is is close by and and most often is is free. So, I've benefited from having a great partner uh, here in her. I've had a few, I would say, in my career. Bill Campbell was one up here in Silicon Valley, who's who's really well known and. I had the good fortune of meeting him as a result of us both being part of the same alma mater in college, which is Columbia University. He obviously was there before I was and then established a brand for himself in Columbia out here on the West Coast. And I really enjoyed spending time with him and, and, and getting to, to hear him speak and, and interact with entrepreneurs. So that, that was great. You know, ironically, I think maybe former bosses and colleagues of mine will call me out for saying this, but you know, in this digital world with, you know, how things started in the late nineties and kind of trial by fire and kind of, you know, lean teams and flat organizations and, and, you know, really leaders giving you accountability to operate basically your own mini business within the organization. It was less about mentorship and it was more just about collaboration. So I learned a lot more collaborating with my fellow leaders and executives and even bosses than I did exercising the opportunity, probably a lost opportunity to, to embrace them as mentors and set up those kinds of environments. But I think the distinction between mentors and collaborators is really slim in my mind, because ultimately you're learning in some capacity. You may not be asking the pointed questions about what is the meaning of life and you know how do I get there, but you learn either overtly or, or covertly by virtue of just engaging in the process of building and running a business and being an entrepreneur and a leader. So you know, to me, it's more about learning through collaboration than it is through mentorship. So I feel like every podcast we've had, and like, you know, we talked earlier, you've been on the site, you recognize a lot of these big names. I feel like every time we do a podcast, which 
probably about three, four a week right now. I have Joe down the rabbit hole with me on that. I feel like every podcast that we come out of is another education, another learning experience, no matter how big or small. Where I'm, like, I'm at least always walking away with, wow, I did not know that. I wanted another conversation or that was good to know. Like I'm always in awe with some of the things we're really talking to people because we, we're social creatures. We don't have the social anymore. And so I love that we're still able to engage, lean on tech, doing the podcast, talking, can reconnecting. So I feel like every conversation, you should always leave somebody better than when you first came into it. And we're always learning something new on our podcast, which is, which is great. I'm jealous of you guys. I think just looking at the lineup of folks you've spoken with already and the ones that you have in the queue, to be able to have that depth and breadth of intellectual interaction and and you know, get so much curiosity and learnings out of it is, is awesome. So well, I know more now about NFL and players than I ever did, except I could not, like I was struggling behind Joe, but like five, 10, 20 yards on the NFL stuff. I mean, I got through it though. It was good. Let, let me ask you, Chris, is there any chance that you and your wife work as a startup, you know, work to do something as a startup in the future? It's a great question. We've, we've definitely vowed to ourselves that we would not in the sense of, starting something together from scratch, I think, you know, part of that plays into the practical realities of, you know, having the appropriate risk allocation within a family uh, so that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket and having to deal with it 24 seven. I think it's just healthier for us. I can't speak, you know, there've been plenty of, of uh, husband, wife and partner duos that have launched and built successful companies. I think we're self-aware enough to realize where our strengths are and, and where they're not as it relates to, you know, interfacing with each other on business. Having said that, you know we we did work together on the launch of of her new business here in town that she did with a, with another business partner. It was it was um, the spa. Actually, I was so it was a clean beauty platform. I was so Sonoma, yeah. I was so impressed, so supportive, so bummed I couldn't get up there to um you know because I've met her a few times to see her and experience it. But I was so excited for you guys when she launched this um, pure beauty spa. That was great. It was great. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's a great e-commerce and and retail uh, model, but anyway, so, you know, the the spouses, meaning myself and her business partner's husband were involved in terms of helping them navigate the onboarding of what it means to start and and build a business. But ultimately we sat in the background and played the support role. And I think that's how it needs to work for us. Uh, It may not work like that for everybody, but I think that primary secondary role in terms of supporting each other's passions and, and convictions is, is super healthy and has worked out for us. It seems that, you know, it looks like people like you and your wife are averse to any kind of risk. I mean, you guys seem to just let it roll off your back and how, how you've done so many different startups and how you're looking on doing a new one. Let me ask you, what what is your view on risk? I mean, you've got a family to feed, you've got mortgage to pay, I imagine. Yeah. Yep. What what is it that makes you want to take that chance? Yeah, I think it's just the you know to me there's a pretty linear correlation between degree of risk and age, <laughs> by and large, and and because with age comes additional layers of responsibility and accountability for not just yourself but for your family, you know, for your your spouse, for your kids, perhaps an extended family that you take care of and are involved in, and just being able to create that work life balance that perhaps entrepreneurship and startup environment does not is not always conducive to. I think I've long since come to the realization that you know what I've learned as an entrepreneur in the early stages of my career I've applied as a, you know more of a corporate leader and what I'll call an entrepreneur which is getting brought into companies that need an entrepreneurial uh, bent that are already at more scale so you don't have to worry about all the things that a pure early stage startup does like 
how to start a company, how to hire, how to fundraise, how to reach profitability, how to scale your product or service. These things have already been taken care of. And to me, there's as, as much excitement, if not more so at this stage of my career in helping a company go from $2 billion in valuation to $10 billion, like we did with Zynga, as it is you know, getting to the first $100 million of revenue uh, from a startup. So, you know, and all of that comes with just the added responsibilities that, you know, tag along with as you get older. And so for me, you know, their their entrepreneurialism can be applied and and utilized in many different forms. And it doesn't have to just be in a pure play startup. Okay. I think it's about, you know, because we started in the startup world and we're still, I mean, in essence, we've had big brands, but we are still, you know, in the startup world of getting companies to market. It's always a risk reward. When we talk to our startup CEOs and potential clients, you got to have an exit plan the first day you start. You got to have something there to where you're going to pivot M&A, whether it's IPO, whether it's just whatever you want to do. And just we see so many great ideas, great companies, but horrible leadership because being an entrepreneur, being in a startup is a whole different beast. I agree, Sarah. I I spend a lot of time talking to CEOs and leaders of gaming companies, mostly through group environments like either this or, or, you know, it used to be conferences, but more and more like, you know, AMAs that their VC investors put on, you know, a lot of these virtual uh, events. And on the M&A side, as somebody that, that, you know, has been in the practice of buying companies, I couldn't agree with what you said more, which is you have to be prepared and have people around you to help you prepare for architecting your company for an eventual exit. Not that that means that you have to actually be of that mindset on day one. I just mean the plumbing and the infrastructure and the back office need to be buttoned up from day one because so many times you come across startups and they're working so fast and they're operating so lean and moving so quickly that they forget the standard good practices around data management, around record keeping, around incorporation, around intellectual property, around HR, all of those things become important when somebody needs to look under your hood to see how you've run a business. And it's one thing to scale a business, a product or service to a certain dollar amount and, or reach a certain level of profitability. But it's another thing to hand over a clean company versus one that you're having to go through piles of proverbial papers or, or you know, emails and other attachments and your personal email account, or it's in an unsecured place on Google Drive. These are all things that end up coming back to bite you. So I think setting that best practice foundational framework early for how to operationalize a company and then let advisors around you help you. Let let accountants and lawyers and advisors help you set that up so that you're not worried about the minutia of that and you can focus on being entrepreneurial and building that product or service. But I can't stress enough the importance, as you said, of getting your company ready from day one to look professional, be professional and act professional so that it can be a successful outcome, whatever that may be. Well, and I think the thing is just a lack of experience because you get a really, really quick hit on an angel round and you know, you're going every direction and it's just the focus. And it's hard being a, I mean, I've seen a lot of our CEOs just got to beat them down, rebuild them up better than they were before. And they're so focused on right now, right now. No, 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 we're a startup. I don't worry about what's down the road, but you kind of have to, because if, you know, we're, and you're, you're coming from the inside, you know, there's the structure, the um, sustainability, I'm coming at it. From the outside, if you don't have a go-to-market strategy, you, I mean, your advisory board is critical, but if you don't have the right advisory board, the right place to steer you to make the smart decisions, a lot of our, we've had meetings where in the early mobile days, I think right before or right after Playboy Mobile, where we had a meeting on a Monday, nobody answered. Nobody, we're just sitting there 
with crickets chirping, Jen and I, because there was nobody on the phone, found out VCs came in, fire the entire executive team Friday at 7 p.m., but nobody told us. Because mm-hmm. I think when you start, when you're, when you're bored or your VCs start dictating how you run your company, that's a bad sign you don't know what you're doing. Because I haven't seen a lot of strength and leadership come out of this year. There's been four or five tremendous companies where I've seen these guys take a stand, good, better, and different. They're taking the hits. They are great leaders. But I'm kind of wondering through COVID right now is are we going to see a whole new crop of strength and leadership in the startup mode? Or is it going to scare people from taking that step out there? Because we've worked so hard to educate startups of everything you said, but the go-to-market strategy, putting 20 grand into CES and South by Southwest, as we all know, is not PR. It's not public relations. You don't have these events. You've got to be more strategic, more creative, more intuitive to thrive and survive through this. And do you think we're going to see more of that? Or do you think we're going to kind of start sliding backwards because people are too afraid to actually take that next leap? No, I think I think we're going to see the former, what you said. I think what, what's going to happen is people are going to see how our industries have been impacted as a result of COVID, what kind of adaptations have worked and not worked. And again, they're going to take that pattern recognition and apply it to an idea or a concept going forward. So I think, especially when we're in an industry like technology that doesn't, progress doesn't stop for anybody and the consumer demand for innovation drives entrepreneurship. And so, you know, for anybody that has survived or thrived in this time period of deep crisis, and I think we're not out of the woods financially, I think we may be on a path to being back to normalcy through through science and medicine, if you believe the information on the the, the vaccine trials. But financially, I think we're in for a, a really long winter and beyond in terms of you know the the country's deficit and debt and what that means. You know when it flows back down to when it flows back down to the consumer. But VC spending, private equity spending, corporate strategic spending in terms of investment and acquisition. Those things are not going to stop because you have to f- always find the next innovation that's going to be the next billion dollar idea. But see, that's oh, but sorry, Joe. But that's the thing. Technology is one of the industries that is not being effective, so to speak, because it's still innovating. You still got to get ahead. The AI, the AR, the VR. I feel technology is still pushing forward more aggressively than ever, and tech will survive and not be affected by this if you're smarter than the competition and you know how to get into the market. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And you have no overhead. We're working from home. You're saving on gas. You can't drive anywhere. We're in lockdown right. again. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me tag team on that question that you just asked about seeing if we're going to have more tech startups and uh, people, more entrepreneurs. One thing that you said earlier, Chris, was the fact that, you know, you can start up a company for about a few thousand dollars on that. Do you, do you see that more people are failing because it is easier to start up that company and we're seeing a lot better. Let's, let's just put it uh, a thinning of the herd. Yeah, I think you have a good point. I think that because it's cheaper, people don't invest as much time, effort and energy in, in, in perhaps refining the idea because it is so cheap to start and fail. But at the same time, I think that massive pipeline of ideas at the top of the funnel obviously lead to some successes, mostly failures. And out of those failures come learnings and successes. So I think you can look at it both ways. But I think by and large, there is somewhat of a, I don't want to call it laziness or malaise, but maybe just, you know, not not going as deep and not taking as many risks. You know, when we were back in the late 90s, you know, you were putting, you know, family money and credit card maxing and all that kind of stuff to buy really expensive things. You had no idea how to how to monetize. 
And now, like I said, it's just, you know, you set up an account with AWS and you start putting a, a product out there and develop it and it can be very quick. But also the barriers to entry are lower. So, you know, those that execute and ideate the best win. But I do think that, you know, this will eventually lead to, to you know, stronger ideas because of all the learnings. Gotcha. You're on the move there, Chris. <laughs> Quick question. And so what do we have to look forward to with you? I mean, where is your next step? I know the family is always first. You, you have all of that going on. Where do you have an idea of where you're, are you going to stay in gaming? I know you're going to stay in tech. Do you know where your next kind of move and pivot's going to be? Yeah, I think that for me, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing really set in stone. For me, it's all about just being introspective and and, and taking into account what my family needs are, you know, where we're going to end up and really taking the time to not be reactive to the people that are reaching out now wanting to talk about business ideas. You know, it's super flattering when you leave a company, you had some measure of success in terms of people being able to reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to talk to you about the next thing. I think many of us fall into the trap of just starting that really early and often, and then glomming onto something because you think you need to sooner rather than later. Whereas for me, you know, I'm, I'm challenging myself to give myself the rest of the year off uh, to really be introspective about what it is that I want to do, whether it's on the investment side, whether it's go back into a corporate gig, whether it's, you know, an earlier stage company, or whether it's something inside or outside of tech and gaming. I think the universe will present itself to me, uh, you know, as, as I take the time to think about it. And, you know, we're, like I said, we're taking the rest of the year off to, just to do that, that introspection. And I think that'll ultimately pay dividends. Do you have anything like for any up and coming startups? Because, you know, you've been at these big brands, you've done a lot, you brought a lot of younger guys up in the ranks and your leadership. Is there any advice to anybody looking or considering doing a startup right now? Yeah, I'd say just be true to, to just be true to yourself in terms of what you're passionate about. If you're passionate about a certain topic in your personal life or in your professional life, that's where the best ideas come from is when people are, are attacking big ideas, solving big problems or going after big markets. And, and it's also something that they like to do personally. I think it's really hard for people to manufacture success in arenas that they are finding themselves in uh, inorganically, you know, uh, meaning they're just taking a job to take a job. They're taking it because there's a headline value associated with a company or position, but, you know, be, being, being true and self-aware uh, to yourself and others in terms of what you're passionate about and what you want to do will ultimately lead to a higher chance of success in my opinion. Yeah. So, okay. I've known you for so long, CP. So I'm just going to say it. We know you're moving. You guys are looking to sell the house. You are taking us on a tour because we are on a Zoom, even though this is audio for the podcast. And Chris Petrovich, you're up in Sonoma, has a gorgeous house. If anybody's looking to buy a house up in Sonoma, just going to give you a little plug there. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> from the beautiful house you're walking through with us on your laptop right now if anybody wants to get a hold of you they need to um reach out to you for any reason what's the best way for people to find you now i would say in this context be much more linkedin than facebook you know i, I think uh i try and keep those separate and to me if, if i don't already know you as a friend or a family member chances are i'm probably not going to connect with you on facebook <laughs> To me, you know, it, it all starts with the business relationships and LinkedIn is the ultimate platform for that. So I, I, that's what I would suggest. And, and, you know, I'm mostly open to really engaging interesting topics and conversations, although I do give people the caveat that between now and the rest of the year, you know, it's going to be rather light in terms of my engagement um, just to, you know, uh, hold up my end of the bargain with my family. But yeah, LinkedIn's a good, good starting point to connect with me. 
And you have a website as well, right? ChrisPetrovich.com is not very active. It's unfortunate. I think I, I think that URL uh, it redirects to my LinkedIn page. Ironically, <laughs> it's like a virtuous. Uh, but you know, you know what's really funny? We used to give out business cards. We used to give out our cell numbers. And I've noticed from June, July, when I started the podcast till now, we are getting less and less. Here's my email to LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Everybody's just like it's a filtering. Like LinkedIn is now become. There's so much going on of people who want to talk to us and people who, oh my God, I need your help. But I think it's just such a good filter. We're now sending everybody to reach out on LinkedIn versus. Well, yeah, the reason why I've always liked it is because you get that virtual view of each other's professional lives, right? In a yeah. snapshot. And you can look side by side at your, of your, you obviously know yours, but you can look at somebody else's and then also just be a judge of their, the context for them reaching out to really understand whether there's something beneficial there. I think all of us have experienced the, the equivalent of LinkedIn messages that are cold calls that are, you know, form letters that have the, the previous recipient's name on it, that have a wrong company name in the body of it, where people are just doing the volume outreach. And, you know, I, I actually now, especially more than ever, now that I have this time off, I'm actually going to take the time to write those people back. It's almost like having a conversation <laughs> with a phone scammer and actually schooling them on what they're doing. I, my focus on LinkedIn. Between oh my God. I did that. Okay. I literally did that this morning of building apps where I applied back very professionally. Hey, unfortunately, remove us from your list. If you would have done your research before your spam emails, you would know we're a PR firm. We're not a tech company. I don't need right. the engineers. I don't need an app. So for that reason, I politely decline your offer. But next time, do your research and figure out who we are before you send me an email to build an app or a PR firm. I do that in a polite manner more and more these days because you got this is you come on guys, do your research. That's not good sales. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I and I'm going to be following Chris on uh, LinkedIn, so you'll be getting my. <laughs> All right, Joe. Thank you. Yes, yes. I appreciate. it. I want to see what's going on. <laughs> I just was stalking CP from the Playboy days. Oh my God, Chris Petrovich! I am so glad I had a chance to not just talk to you, catch up, but see your face. You know, without any social going on in the universe, it's been a while. I do wish you and your family the best of luck yes. with the move, getting out of here. I know you're going to stay in touch with me, um, regardless of where you go. There's always great things ahead every time we connect and stuff. But is there any last parting shots right now for anybody and everybody out there? No, nothing other than what we've talked about. I just appreciate right. the opportunity to talk shop. To me, it's one of the most exciting things on a daily basis to be able to do is just share insights, yeah. wisdoms, perspectives, lessons, and advice, you know, and, and hopefully it, if it reaches and resonates with one person, it's, it's, you know, we've accomplished our goal today. It's all about trials and tribulations and all things tech and entertainment and people who did good in the world on Meet and Mavis podcast. So you hit all of our corners, but Thank you so much for being here. This is Sarah Miller, CEO, Access Entertainment, your Media Maven podcast host. Joe, thank you again for another awesome afternoon. You're welcome. People. I enjoyed this. And Chris Petrovic, I look forward to catching up with you and um, having you back on in spring to talk about your next adventure. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or you want to find past episodes, Subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. For more information, go to MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.